Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. And about 11 o'clock that morning, I got a headache and felt nauseous on my right side. I stayed in the hospital for a week and got out and went to about a week and a half later, started occupational therapy to get the whole left side back together again, so to speak, um, and get the symmetry back and my strength back in it. I took three months off and went back to work. And I really, hindsight's always 20-20, as they say. And I really should have taken more time before I went back just for my brain to rest a little bit longer. Physically, I was okay to be able to go back to work, but cognitively, everything was not, I wasn't ready to go back. Just work at it every day. Don't give up because there is somebody else who is watching your struggle who can gain from it. Hello, this is Stroke Stories, and I'm Mark Goodyear. In North Carolina, stroke is the third leading cause of death. It's also part of America's Stroke Belt, a collection of 8 to 12 states where death rates from stroke are significantly higher than the rest of the USA. And women are more at risk. Every year, 55,000 more women die from stroke than men. Stroke survival rates continue to improve, but after a stroke, life can still be incredibly isolating. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this episode, we'll visit Caroline Dutton, who lives in North Carolina. Caroline suffered a stroke at the age of 47. I was just busy working and playing tennis and just doing life like everybody else was. I'm a pharmaceutical sales rep. At the time, let's see, I was 47 when I had my stroke. So I was just busy just doing everyday life. The day that it happened, I actually thought that it was just a migraine because the day before I had left to go to work about 6.30 that morning because I had a dinner program that night in a town about an hour and a half away. And so I did not get back to my house until like 10, 10.30 that night. So it was an extremely long day. So then the next day, got up to go to work. And about 11 o'clock that morning, I got a headache and felt nauseous on my right side. And I thought, eh, you know, it's probably just migraine. I'd never had nausea with a migraine before, but I mean... Getting it and not never having it before is not unusual. So I drove down the street maybe a half a mile and got a Snickers bar and a can of ginger ale. 
to soothe myself over because I had to be at a doctor's office at 1230 that day. I had to go. So I was just like, I'm just pushed through because it's just a migraine. And that's how it started. And I get to where I needed to be at 1230. And one of my counterparts was there and he's like, you don't look, you don't, you don't like you feel good. And I went, I don't feel good. I've got a terrible headache. Some people will describe it's the worst headache they've ever had. This was not the worst headache I've ever had. So it wasn't like immediately I knew something was wrong. It that wasn't like that for me. I got done with what I needed to do and I went home and took my migraine medicine and laid down on the sofa and went to sleep. Covered my head up because the light began to, you know, was bothering my eye and that's why I thought it was just a migraine. That was on a Thursday. And by Friday of that week, I still had my headache, but no other symptoms of anything. But my vision was beginning to get weird on my right eye. And at this point, this is why I did not know that vision was an issue with stroke, because we've always been taught fast. And I didn't have those other symptoms. So I just ignored it. And was like, gosh, it's weird. But it was almost like I would get a silver chrome effect when I was looking out of my right eye. You know, at, at times in your life where you've seen kind of the like the silver spots, that's what it was like. And I had a hard time looking at my computer because I had a presentation to do. I was actually going out of town on Monday morning. So my boss picks me up on Monday morning. We drive to Atlanta, Georgia, which is like a three-hour ride. I'm passenger. Thank goodness I'm not driving, right? So we get to Atlanta, and I have a presentation to give that afternoon. And so I give my presentation, and I'm just not, I'm starting to feel like, God, my head's still hurting, but now I'm starting to feel not confused, but it's just like my thoughts are not coming together really well anymore. And then I, so I did my presentation. It was, yeah, whatever. And then that night we had a working dinner and I'm sitting there going, this light is really bothering me. And everybody, we stopped to have a working dinner and everybody has stopped to have drinks. Well, I didn't, I'm like, I don't even want to drink. And my friend, my boss was looking at me. She's like, you don't even want anything to drink. And I'm like, no, I just, I don't feel good. And we stood there and then two fingers on my left hand went numb. And I said to her and the other person standing there, and they're like, what? And then my feeling came back. So here again, it's not hitting me when I'm thinking numbness. I'm thinking stroke, but I'm thinking it's going to stay numb. So here again, I ignored it. Went back in, sat down, and when we got done that night, everybody else was going to the bar. I said, I'll see y'all tomorrow. I'm going to bed. So I went to my room and then sat down to work on a presentation that I had to do the next day, and I just was having a hard time with it. And then my thumb went numb on that same hand. And I timed it because I'm like, I'm, I'm realizing something's not right, but I can't put it all together. And it was numb for about five to seven minutes, and then the feeling came back then I never had another numbness. So the next day comes and I go to my meeting. I do my next presentation and we leave and come back home and I meet my husband and he doesn't notice anything with me because I'm still talking and walking. I still have my balance. It's just my head and my eye at this time. 
And then Wednesday, he leaves to go out of town for three days. And I'm back to work. I'm still working. After such a long time since her symptoms first started, Caroline's stroke began to physically affect her more and more. Thursday, I'm ironing clothes, and I walked to go hang them up, and my leg kind of buckled. And I thought, well, that's weird, but no other symptoms. And so, and I'm home by myself. So I walk back to the ironing board, and I'm holding on to the dresser, not because of balance, but I thought, well, God, my leg buckles again, and I hit the floor. I'm here by myself. So I just didn't want to take a bad fall. And so it, that never happened again either. So Friday comes around, so I'm, I'm still working, head still bothering me. My arm, my left arm from my shoulder to my elbow starts to feel like it has a compression sleeve on it. And I thought, well, that's just weird. So I call my neurologist that day and I say, tell them all the things that I've told you. And I said, I really need to be seen today. And they said, well, come on in this afternoon. So I went to the neurologist that afternoon, told him everything I've told you. And he said, oh, well, I think it's just something with going on with a migraine with these maybe new auras that you've never had before. And I'm like, okay, I guess. I mean, what do I know, right? I'm not a doctor. And so he sends me on my way, which I thought, okay, well, I guess so. He said, well, we'll schedule another MRI for you. So the next day on that Friday, we in South Carolina had a major rainstorm and flood of the rain of the history coming to us. And it was supposed to be this terrible storm, which it did turn out to be. It was a hundred year flood that we had here. So they call me that Friday to schedule an MRI and they said, we can't do it till the following Friday. And I went, oh, okay, well, whatever, right? I mean, here again, I don't know any different. And so by Sunday, I look at my husband and my hand down my whole arm has begun to lose its dexterity. And I'm like, something's really weird. And he's like, you want to go to the hospital? I'm like, no, I mean, it's raining and flooding. Where are we going? I'm like, no. So the next morning, Monday. So here we are 12 days into this. Praise God, I'm still functioning. And even to this day, because things could have gone terribly wrong. I realized that things are really wrong. And so we go to the hospital that morning and have to go around because things are so flooded. You can't, we couldn't even get to the hospital that we wanted to go to because they were shut down, moving people out of the hospitals because of lack of water for the hospital. So I get there and they take me for an MRI. And as soon as they do the MRI, I had a watershed stroke on my right side. I had a dissection on the right side. And then they finally come to realize that I have fibromuscular dysplasia in my carotid arteries. So another just, you know, weird anomaly, which is considered in the U.S. and I guess around the world as a rare disease. And it's more rare in your carotids. So that was the story of my stroke, 12 days. And, you know, like I say, here I am. Caroline was soon home and had a long recovery ahead of her to regain the use of her left side. I stayed in the hospital for a week and got out and went to about a week and a half later, started occupational therapy. 
to get the whole left side back together again, so to speak, um, and get the symmetry back and my strength back in it. And that went on. I did occupational therapy for two and a half months. And then I felt like it had done as much as it was going to do for me that I was just going to have to take the rest of it from there. And when they decided, my doctor said that I was able to go back and play tennis, which was in, my stroke was in October, October the 5th. And by December, she cleared me to go back and play tennis. And so I began taking tennis lessons again to help with my balance and, you know, everything was slow. And to get my hand-eye coordination back, my ball toss was with my left hand, which my left arm was what was affected. So you can imagine where this ball toss was going to. It wasn't a really pretty sight. And I would say it took me probably six months Um to get my symmetry back on my arm and my hand. And it took about seven, eight months to get my vision back totally where it needed to be on my right eye. Physically, it's all back 100% at this point. The only thing that is a deficit, which my husband and my daughter notice because they're around me the most, is some short-term memory loss. I don't think that is ever coming back again. And that's okay, because there's probably some things that I don't need to remember or want to remember. <laughs> so I don't, count that as a, I don't count that as a bad thing. Once her physio had ended, Caroline wanted to go back to work as quickly as possible. I took three months off and went back to work. And I really, hindsight's always twenty twenty, as they say. And I really should have taken more time before I went back just for my brain to rest a little bit longer. Physically, I was okay to be able to go back to work, but cognitively, everything was not, I wasn't ready to go back. But I guess doing the job that I was doing in outside sales, I wasn't having to focus and concentrate on things, but in short bits, so that helped all of the doctors that I called on and the offices, they were all very understanding. And so everybody, you know, kind of just took their time with me. But it was hard to go back. Caroline was incredibly lucky to make such a full recovery. And she remains ever grateful that she wasn't left with any long-term physical issues. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Caroline explains how she came to terms with what happened to her. It's easy to take a negative attitude with things and with where we are and to forget how far we've come and what we still have left because it's always easy to talk about what we don't have but let's talk about what we do have and she gives her advice to stroke survivors take the time for yourself because life is very short and life is very precious and sometimes unfortunately it takes an event to get your attention and just don't take those little things for granted This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Let's hear how the stroke 
changed Carol Ann's outlook on life. It did something to me that I just have a more calm. I used to get really worked up about things and just want to just grind at it. And when things would annoy me, but things really just kind of roll past me now. And I'm like, it's really not important. Unfortunately, I'm 51 years old and I have lost both of my parents. And my dad has been deceased for 20 years now. And my mom has been gone for six. And so I I do have a different perspective. You know, life is short just because of my own situation. And then you add my stroke onto that. There are things that are not important in this life at all. But I think the stroke did hit something that really just brought that extra calm to me that that doesn't matter. Like, don't sweat the small stuff type stuff, really, for sure. I went online to learn a lot more about fibromuscular dysplasia. And obviously, the fear for me was at the time, am I going to have another one? Reading, you know, like the first six months to a year, you're at the highest risk of having another stroke. Then I started, you know, reading blogs and then realizing how lucky I was with the minimal deficits that I had compared to, you know, other folks. And I think the other thing that was so shocking to me was how many young people have strokes. That just shocked me because I just, I don't think people realize it because I didn't because both of my parents died of cancer. And stroke never crossed my mind that I would have. And I think that's another reason why I just kind of ignored it. Nah, I can't be having a stroke. Both my parents died of cancer. That's what's going to get me. (laughs) I think that that's just always been my thought, you know. And then when I talk to people in my family, my aunts, and they're like, honey, the angels just weren't ready for you. You know, that's why you're still here. You have more work to do. And so I feel like I just encourage other people now who go through difficulties, but I never went to a support group or whatever, but I have spoken to other people who have had a stroke and have learned and met people in my community and have spoken to them about their experiences. Caroline has also managed to make peace with her stroke. It's easy to take a negative attitude with things and with where we are and to forget how far we've come and what we still have left, because it's always easy to talk about what we don't have, but let's talk about what we do have. And I think that's my take and perspective on a lot of it, and that's what I share to people. And they're always like, hmm, never thought of it that way. You know, for instance, a friend of mine, her husband was tragically killed, and she said to me, and this has stuck with me, see, this is one thing I can remember. She said, she asked her minister, why did this happen to him? And the minister said to her, why not? You know, like, why me? Why not you? I mean, these things happen to people every day around the world. Why not you? Because we always think it happens to somebody else. I'm not scared of it. And I'm not scared to die. And I think that probably has a lot to do with it. I'm at peace with that. Because I don't have any control over any of it. And I just live every day as the best that I can and be the best person and the kindest person that I can be. The hardest part really wasn't for me. It was just realizing that in the hospital that I went to, they were not really prepared for my stroke. They didn't know anything about fibromuscular dysplasia. And they weren't even sure if they had seen a dissection on the angiograms. But luckily, we had a friend of ours who was a physician 
And she was like, you got to get out of that hospital. And she's the one who got me to the neurologist at MUSC. And I was such a unique case. When I went to MUSC, I actually granted them the ability to use me, use my case and all of my, you know, paperwork for them to use as a teaching model of what not to do or what to do when a person comes in exhibiting these things. So it was a teaching moment for students at the Medical University of South Carolina. I always thought it was old people who had a stroke, you know, and I looked up what the symptoms of a stroke were for FAST, didn't have any of those. And so I'm like, it can't be. So I just dismissed it. But I think if we went by the BFAST rule, you know, with the vision and balance and those other things involved, because my speech was fine the entire 12 days. I didn't slur. I didn't have face droop at all. And so I just never thought somebody my age could have a stroke. And I was physically fit. You know, I was, you know, a 47-year-old woman, 5'5", 135 pounds. I don't know what a stroke patient looks like, but people look at me and go, well, you couldn't have had a stroke. The only thing that annoys me now is when somebody will say something, and I'll say, well, I've had a stroke, and they'll say, what deficits do you have? And I'll say, short-term memory loss, I can't remember stuff. And they dismiss it by saying, I do that every day, too. Okay, well, it's not the same. And that's the one thing that annoys me is that don't dismiss the fact that I have memory loss that is never coming back over. You forgot where your keys were, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I think that's the only thing that bothers me when people just kind of dismiss that. Well, I have that all the time. Well, I mean, I'm not making I'm not complaining about it. I'm just making a statement. Caroline's stroke also revealed that she had fibromuscular dysplasia, something she'd previously been unaware of. They would not have found it if it had not been from the stroke, and it probably was the cause of my stroke. It's kind of the chicken before the egg, so they, you know, physician really can't say for sure. But in both of my carotids, but especially on the right side, you have three layers, and they're not solid for me. So what it means is like the inner layers will herniate on itself and push out and make like a little bubble. Mine kind of looks like the, and they call it a a bead of string, a string of beads. So it kind of resembles the chain on a ceiling fan. And so the blood flow is, you know, irregular having to go through that. That can cause the clot in itself too. But there is enough blood flow going through there because I just had um, an ultrasound on my carotids. And so I've got enough blood flow going that they're happy to not stent anywhere. But fibromuscular dysplasia, through my learnings now, it's more common in women in their kidneys. And it's more, it happens more often in women than men. And they don't know why, except for maybe a hormonal component is the only thing they can figure. It happens in the kidneys more often, and it usually presents itself as uncontrolled high blood pressure in younger women. And I don't have it there. It may develop or it may never develop there. I may only end up with it just in my carotids. And I'm lucky that in my area, about an hour and a half away, there is a vascular doctor who trained at the Mayo Clinic with their fibromuscular dysplasia, who I am now in their registry of patients that they follow with fibromuscular dysplasia 
so that they can see how it um, changes or doesn't change over time or if you have any other um, occurrences later on because of it. Finally, here's Caroline's advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones. You have got to do it for you with taking care of yourself, eating better, sleeping better, anything that you can do to make yourself well. Take the time for yourself because life is very short and life is very precious. And sometimes, unfortunately, it takes an event to get your attention. And just don't take those little things for granted. And just work at it every day. Don't give up because there is somebody else who is watching your struggle who can gain from it. And then as far as a caregiver, you have to encourage, but don't be overbearing. If your loved one's not doing what you think they should be doing by that time, you have to encourage, but not nag. And there's a fine line. And then don't dismiss, like I said for myself with the memory loss, don't dismiss it as, oh, well, I have that too. Because it's like, no, you don't. You didn't have a stroke. So just be careful of that with comparing yourself when you've never gone through it. Caroline's stroke story and her recovery is extraordinary. Despite having to wait 12 days before being diagnosed, she was able to recover almost 100% to her old self and now has a brand new outlook on life. If you would like to learn more about stroke, please search for the Stroke Association online. Search NHS Stroke if you'd like a dedicated webpage. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and rate and comment on the episodes because that will help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,